Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, before we get started today, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by the Tiny Survival Guide and Card. These are two fantastic resources to keep with you at all times. And best of all, you can go over to Kickstarter right now to get yours first before they go live to the general public. Simply search Tiny Survival Guide over on kickstarter.com or click the link in the description below. Stress and rest equals progress. I think people don't know how much they don't know about simple things. When you try to do something that looks easy and you realize how complicated it actually is, or you start out on your own and you have someone who knows what they're doing tell you that you're doing everything wrong. I moan and groan to people about this all the time, but most people are just walking around dehydrated. People, it seems like they only drink sodas. They're freakishly strong. I mean, their grips are just amazing they still come in and work out. I mean, you become more efficient at some of these jobs. So you build up a certain technique. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Survival Show podcast. I am your solo host today. That's This is Craig. Our good buddy David is out in Vegas with SHOT Show doing interviews out there. So you'll be hearing that coming up in the coming weeks as well. He's neck deep out there talking to people about the Tiny Survival Guide. If you haven't checked that out, check it out over on Kickstarter. That thing is rocking. It is crushing it over on Kickstarter. So just go to Kickstarter and type in the Tiny Survival Guide. We'll have more about that later as well. Today, I'm real excited to bring in uh, my good friend, Dr. Brian Jones. Brian is a real good friend of mine, and he wears many, many, many hats. He's an accomplished author and a full-time college professor. He teaches exercise physiology and its related coursework. He's also a third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and has a black belt in judo and is trained in several other martial arts as well. He's one bad dude. Uh, He oversees instruction at his Valhalla Academy in Frankfort, Kentucky, and a number of affiliates with that academy. He also stays very busy, which is a new venture, and we'll be talking about this a little bit later as well, uh, directing a team of contributors for Old School Jiu-Jitsu, which is a website that has an incredibly strong social media presence, like 10,000 plus. And uh, we're going to be sharing about that and discussing and all that kind of good stuff. Let's get started. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Today, we're going to be discussing physical fitness. And as it relates to survival, uh, as I've mentioned, Brian is very accomplished in this field of study, and he's, he's just a vast amount of information. So we're going to we're going to dig into that. My first question for you, Brian, my first one is what are some good ways that we can go about measuring our physical fitness? That's a really good question. Physical fitness is one of those concepts that people use or a term that people use that has a lot of different dimensions. So it's, you almost have to ask fit for what? Because okay. Can, can I do that? Can I ask you that? What if we're trying to get for survival, disaster okay. readiness? And let's, let's take a look at that. How, what do we need to do? How do we need to measure that? Well, overall fitness, if you're looking at overall fitness, it, it kind of, it has several different dimensions and different people will sort of subdivide the different dimensions of fitness, but there's basically musculoskeletal fitness, your strength of your bones and your, and your muscles and muscular endurance and strength kind of come under that. There's cardiorespiratory fitness, which is the ability of your heart and lungs to deliver blood to the muscles and the muscles to take it up and use it. Uh, there's also fitness as it regards uh, body mass, we'll probably talk about body fat, I imagine, a little bit. One of those things is uh, that's part. Of, that's a component of fitness because it has a direct relationship to not just performance, but also majorly for health. Uh, you don't need to be super, super lean uh, to be fit, but you have to be at a certain, a certain level of leanness in order to be healthy. Other components, flexibility and mobility, 
there are a number of different subdivisions if you're talking about athletics, but the, the main, those are the main physical components of, of fitness. Okay. So you, you mentioned body mass and, and a term that gets thrown around a lot is this body mass index, everybody's BMI. Is that a good measure for people to check themselves out or no? Well, body mass index is based on two measurements. It's based on uh, weight and height. So it's a height, it's a, a height weight ratio. It's kilograms over meters squared in terms of height and weight. And it gives you a really rough estimate of your risk for various diseases. Hmm. So okay. the optimal range being somewhere between 18 and 25 for health purposes. It was developed more for screening people for health as opposed to, let's say, uh, looking at one individual and determining whether or not they need to lose weight for a performance benefit. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good for large group. It's good for clinical stuff. And to bring this back to the, I know you asked me about kind of relating this to, to survival fitness. Having a body mass index that's healthy, the first thing that we have to think about uh, with survival is the fact that you can, in a non-austere environment, survival is being healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you can kind of extrapolate that to being out in a uh, environment where health is even more important. So from a survival standpoint, uh, you need to be healthy, but you don't necessarily need to be as lean as an athlete right. because we need to have body fat reserves to tap on. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. So these, like one of the things that I'm always concerned about, cause I have one of these scales that measures weight, but it also supposedly measures body fat just by stepping uh-huh. on a scale. And I just don't see that that can be accurate. I mean, am I missing something there? Well, those scales are based on a technology called bioelectrical impedance analysis. It's usually abbreviated mercifully as BIA. And BIA is based on the premise that your body is sort of a cylinder and it runs an electric current through that you can't feel and measures the resistance to flow. And fat, because it doesn't have as much water in the tissue, uh, resists electric current more. So the more resistance, Hmm. the more body fat percentage that it measures. So it has its limitations. It has its uses. Some of the units are more accurate and, and more valid than others. Not all of them have undergone sort of rigorous laboratory testing, But the main thing is that uh, to remember about those is that they measure pretty well in the sort of normal body fat range. If someone is extremely obese or extremely lean, then they'll tend to estimate either high or low, kind of pushing them towards the middle. Hmm, Interesting. And they're also very sensitive to hydration because they're based on resistance to flow. So if you're dehydrated, then it's going to tend to not it's going to you're basically not going to have the water in your muscles that you normally have and so there's going to be more resistance to flow so it's going to tend to overestimate dude it is just one more thing to indicate to people that they need to stay hydrated because we i moan and groan to people about this all the time but most people are just walking around dehydrated i agree there's not enough there's a lot of people it seems like they only drink sodas you know i had i had a conversation with my dad a couple months ago and, you know, my dad's one of these types that drinks sweet tea and that's pretty much all he drinks ever. And I said something he was, his, uh, his legs were aching and hurting. I was like, dad, you're dehydrated and you drink, drink some water. He's like, why would I drink water? I mean, it's just a, <laughs> I mean, this is a 70 year old man that he just doesn't comprehend that how valuable water is to us. And I, and I think that's a lot of us in this part of the world. It seems like, I don't know if that's something that other parts of the world just get and we don't, or if it's, you know, I don't know, but we need to drink more water, right? Definitely. I mean, there's, there's a reason to stay hydrated. I mean, if we talked about this from a survival standpoint, um, if you come, come home for, from a workout, uh, if you've had a couple of workouts or something like that and you've sweated a lot and then you get into a situation where water is a, a, a scarcity then you're really going to be a dis- at a disadvantage. So if you know walking around dehydrated is not a good idea from a health standpoint or a performance standpoint or a survival standpoint. I did a class several years ago for uh, Fifth Special Forces Group out of Fifth, uh, Fort Campbell, 
And one of the guys I was teaching a section on survival and hydration and everything, you know, those guys do this. And they know that they're tactical athletes. But but one of the things that he said that happens to them all the time is that because of what happened in Mogadishu in particular, that it was really impressed upon everybody to be hydrated before they go out. I mean, their command structure is all over them. And so all the time they are using the bathroom in the helicopter in the way to an op because they've hydrated so much. And yeah, which, which is good things because they don't want to hit the ground and then get stuck, not having access to water. And then there they are, they're dehydrated and now they're screwed. They can't function as a human. So yeah, it's much better to pee your pants than it is to go down from yeah. cramps or heat, heat exhaustion. Right. So what about, uh, what about apps and stuff such as like the Apple health and, and the Android, I use Apple health that measures stuff. And is that a good idea? I mean, those things accurate for heart rate and steps and all that stuff is that good stuff well i don't use apple health i've seen it it's it sort of collects a lot of different data into one spot if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. and that data has to come that has has to come from somewhere so that data is input into this overall picture i don't currently use any apps Um, i used to to use a fitbit uh, to sort of keep track of um, my you know just my activity level but my habitual activity level is really, really high, so I'm I'm not as much worried about that. Um, if I get to, I have used some calorie tracker apps before, to, just to kind of help cut weight and and things like that. But uh, I don't I don't think those are a really bad idea for people just to make sure that they're getting enough um, activity during the day. And again, it's all based on you know, the accuracy and validity. And there are a couple of, you know, relatively recent research studies that sort of compare different uh, wearable devices, you know, ones that are supposed to track sleep and steps and caloric expenditure and all of those things. And um, there's a pretty wide variety of accuracy levels on Hmm. those. Wow. Um, Apple comes out pretty well um there's some other ones the uh, fitbit surge does pretty well but what's interesting is that they tend to do well on steps but they tend to sort of have a less of a they're less valid or less accurate on the anaerobic so the running so when mm. you start running you use calories differently and they don't a lot of them don't predict the anaerobic activity nearly as accurately so it's just something gotcha. to take into consideration. Well, that's a good segue into my next question, which was about, you mentioned earlier, cardiorespiratory fitness. What can you explain to those that speak um, regular down-to-earth language what that means? <laughs> what is <laughs> what is cardiorespiratory fitness and why is it important for, for survival? Good question. So cardiorespiratory fitness is a very multi-system fitness uh, component. Uh, it involves your heart, your lungs, your blood vessels, and to some of your muscles because cardiorespiratory fitness is your body's ability to extract oxygen that you breathe in to get it to the muscles where it can be used. It includes a little bit of your body's ability. Your muscles have to be able to use that oxygen and then getting the carbon dioxide that's produced from the energy production back to your lungs so you can exhale. So that is the basic function of the cardiorespiratory system, including the the musculature. So our ability to do that is going to be directly related to how well we can perform long distance, relatively low intensity activity, like walking, Hmm. uh, like like jogging at a low speed, uh, moving over land in the survival situation. So it's, People who have a low cardiorespiratory fitness, uh, and I'll go back to the health, tend to be unhealthy for one thing. So there's a relationship between health, but also uh, they're not able to do very much for very long. Which is absolutely going to be needed for disaster readiness for sure. Absolutely. You're going to be walking a lot. Dude, I taught a, I taught a class down in Virginia to a bunch of DEA agents, and uh, they were telling me this story that they got tasked on one of their missions to go out and get this lady from her house. They didn't realize until they got there that this lady was like 500 pounds. And wow. they, and they you've, we've got four DEA agents getting in a house to get a, you know, this lady out and put her in a John boat and try to get her to safety. So obviously 
this woman is not physically fit, not healthy, nothing to do with it. But just the fitness level and the strength level of these guys, they had to build a litter to get her out of her house and get her onto the boat was just, just unimaginable. The, I mean, it took them almost three hours to get her. They had to tear the door out. They had to literally rip the door out to get her out the door. Cause she, she hadn't been out for so long. She couldn't fit through the door kind of thing. Wow. And I say that, I think some of us go, okay, well I'm fit or I'm okay. But in disaster survival, we might be helping somebody that's not, and it, it's going to require us to be over and above more fit than, than we might expect. It was really interesting to me. So th- this idea of this fitness uh, there's, there's these two terms and you've used both of them already aerobic and anaerobic. Can you explain the difference in that for us and, and why it's important? Sure. So ana- aerobic fitness is the inner is basically fitness dealing with the production of energy using oxygen and anaerobic is the production of energy using, not using oxygen, using other metabolic pathways. And what that means in sort of practical terms is that, um, our cardiorespiratory fitness, or what we think of as sort of long-term endurance, our ability to jog, our ability to walk distances is aerobic. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're mm-hmm. we're doing this for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, that kind of thing, maybe all day. Uh, that's going to be primarily an aerobic fitness activity. If we decide to sprint or we have to... Uh, carry someone or drag someone for a distance we're going to be using energy we're going to be producing energy uh, without the use of oxygen so that is an anaerobic system yeah that's includes fighting too right i mean like all of a sudden bam somebody's going to try to hurt us and we got to kick butt and take names we're that's anaerobic exercise exactly so things uh, particularly things that uh, you you basically can break down an activity according to its metabolic pathways. It's any given activity is going to be more uh, aerobic or more anaerobic. And so uh, walking a long distance is going to be more aerobic and then sprinting is going to be more anaerobic. So things that are under two minutes um, are typically going to be uh, almost e- not exclusively, but predominantly this anaerobic fitness is going to be a key component. If you think of a fight, you're going to, most fights don't last that long, you know, outside of a ring situation, but a really a street fight is usually under two minutes. So it's predominantly an anaerobic activity. So is that where like a uh, training, like HIIT training would come into play? Is that good for us? High intensity training? Yes. uh, HIIT training or high, High intensity interval training, like HIIT, high high intensity training has a little bit different term as sort of a um, a different thing. But high intensity interval training, um, it also called referred to as HIT, is doing intervals of high intensity activity or intervals of anaerobic activity, sort of like sprinting, interspersed with aerobic activities. Or, or slow duration activities like walking. So if you, let's, let's say you go to a track and you um, run a lap and then walk a lap, run a lap, walk a lap, that would be an, uh, an interval activity. And th- that would build both aerobic and anaerobic endurance. Hmm. So that would be, I mean, is that, I know you can't give advice to, to uh, each individual, but in general, that's probably not a bad idea for survival of some sort of training in that manner because we're hitting both or am I looking at it wrong? No, I think you're on the right track there. I think that that's probably the optimal thing. And what I tell people, because I'm, you, you, we're talking to the general public, uh, the best workout is the one you're actually going to do. So if somebody's doing nothing, then just getting out and walking is going to make them fitter in all aspects. It's going to make them stronger, fitter, more healthy. It's going to bring down their body fat levels. If you have someone who's already fit, that's looking to sort of uh, max, because none of us have an unlimited amount of time. So Mm -hmm. if you have that situation, then interval training can be a really good way of getting both aerobic and anaerobic activities uh, together in a shorter amount of time, say, than running for a long distance and separating them. I remember you came to, uh, for those that don't know, I used to teach martial arts full-time. Brian came to my facility and and trained a bunch of our folks one time. And one of the things that he said that impressed me very simply was, you don't need to be doing all kinds of weightlifting if you can't just do 20 push-ups. I mean, <laughs> simple is good. I mean, do some simple things 
uh, walking or doing push-ups and stuff of that nature it, to get started, right? I mean, because some of the people that are listening probably don't exercise at all. So I want to make sure we get those people covered as well. For sure. You don't need a lot of fancy equipment. You don't need a lot of fancy programs. Uh, you just need some sort of you know resistance. Your body weight resistance is just as good as um, the free weight resistance. So you can use anything for resistance, really. Um, body weight is a great one. So push-ups and, and like I said, the, 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 the fundamental base is that if somebody doesn't have the strength to actually do a push-up, it's better to sort of build up to that, being able to move your own body weight than it is to start moving external loads. Right. So the, the push-ups, the pull-ups and, and sort of the variations of those things, they could, they're progressions, you know, you can start out with a, on an elevated surface pushing and then gradually go towards the ground, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's very accessible. Uh, fitness doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to take a long time. You know, someone could, could start, you know, 15 minutes, uh, every other day or something like that, 15 minutes, three times a week and anything, you know, and start and not, not try to pursue one of these programs that's designed for somebody who is training for athletic performance. Here, here's a good question. I think is for those that are listening for me, even for that matter, I keep saying that those listening, but this I, I'm learning just right along with everybody is how do we know when we have overtrained to the point that whatever we're doing, we need to stop or we need to seek medical attention or what, what kind of things are indicators for us? So the overtraining syndrome uh, is a pretty complicated one. Uh, for most people who are undergoing a general fitness program, they're never going to reach a, p a point of overtraining. They just, they're not going to do enough to do. So let's say we got a guy out there that's listening to us and he hears what you're saying. He's going, oh yeah, I need to get more prepared. And he goes to the gym next week or he starts doing bodyweight exercises out back. What kind of things does he need to know or recognize that, oh, crap, he's screwed up and he's hurting himself, his heart, his, you know, he's pulled a muscle or whatever. What kind of, what are indicators of that sort of thing? What people need to think about this first is progressive overload. That's the principle. Hmm. So stress and rest equals progress. So you need to start out very, very slowly. Now, see, that's why I like you, Brian. Say that again. Stress and rest equals progress. I don't know. If, I don't think I made that up, but it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's the idea that you need to start out at a very basic level. So someone who is trying to work out and starting a program, I would encourage them to consult with somebody who is a fitness professional. If they're going to start lifting weights, there's a lot more to, let's say, the average uh, to, to a barbell bench press or a barbell deadlift than meets the eye. That said, there are a lot of, if someone is, is starting out with some walking or jogging or push-ups, you can usually figure that stuff out, but people do push-ups wrong a lot. So what my advice would be is to either consult with someone, do a little reading, and always start out with less than you think you should mm -hmm. so you can build up because it doesn't matter if you've never trained before it doesn't matter if you do one uh, if you do one set of body weight squats or you do 10 sets you're going to get sore so you might as well just go ahead and start out light and then build up mm -hmm. there have been cases of uh, something called exertional rhabdomyolysis where people have gone out, not trained, especially in the heat, trained so hard that they've caused so much muscle damage that one of the enzymes that is in the muscle myoglobin actually clogs up the kidneys and causes renal failure. Dang. Now, that's not super common, but it can be. It's It's been documented in some of the group fitness classes where people just go straight in and they're trying to do as many reps as possible and they just basically uh, collapse from it. Interesting. So that's something to look out for. Well, so what uh, I'm going to ask you your favorite on all these. You told us your favorite app is you don't have one. So what's your what's your favorite <laughs> what's your favorite uh, cardiorespiratory exercise for you, Doctor Brian Jones? Personally, I enjoy just sparring and jujitsu. Uh, I use that as a primary cardiovascular exercise because I've been doing quite a bit of it. Uh, but if we take the sport or the, the art away from 
uh, jujitsu. I would have to say uh, jumping rope is one of my favorites and also doing things with kettlebells. So sets of kettlebell swings with a, a relatively light weight. So long, basically do 20 rest for 30 seconds, do 20 more, that kind of thing over time. Cool. So using weights for cardio. Nice. I like it. That takes us right into muscular strength too. So let's, let's take a look at muscular strength and endurance. If, uh, what what are the benefits as they relate to survival of, of those things? How do you see that playing out for us? Well, muscular strength and endurance are, again, those one of the, some of those primary components of, of fitness. Uh, muscular strength, uh, you can look at it, again, it can be subdivided in a number of different ways. But, you know, essentially it's the ability to produce maximum force. Like how much force can you produce? That would be your 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 strength. What it would be the maximum amount of force you could produce. Endurance is your ability to do sort of a a submaximal um, amount of resistance over an extended period of time. So if we took uh, if we were going to measure strength, you know, at one rep max or two rep max or three rep max on a on a lift like a deadlift or a squat or something like that, can give us a measure of strength. Whereas how many bodyweight squats can you do before you collapse? Or if you can do a lot of push-ups, for instance, how many can you do? Can you do 50 or 60? That's more of a muscular endurance thing. So what we, what we want to think about, first of all, is that it's important to be relatively strong. Okay. Right. So uh, it, you need to be strong for your body weight. Because if you're going to try to do something that requires one big pull or one big effort, then you're going to need some strength. If you need to kick down a door or if you need to lift something. Hey, this is the perfect time to tell you briefly about our sponsor today, which is the Tiny Survival Card and Tiny Survival Guide. They are small enough to fit in your wallet or purse glove box, or any small area that you need one. The Tiny Survival Guide is incredibly well thought out and jam-packed resources full of information. The Tiny Survival Card is made from 0.025 inch thick 302 stainless steel and has a knife and other hard-to-improvise tools. We wanted a guide that would serve two purposes. Number one was to give you a resource to help you prepare before an event occurs. The Tiny Survival Guide does exactly that. Read it and determine what gaps you have in your disaster readiness and start fixing those gaps now. Secondly, we wanted something that would serve to help you in disaster that was easy and small enough to carry anywhere. The Tiny Guide is small enough to fit in your wallet, in a glove box, your pack, or anywhere you might have need to reference survival information. Go over to Kickstarter right now to get yours first before they go live to the general public. Simply search Tiny Survival Guide over on kickstarter.com or click the link in the description below. All right, let's get back into this podcast. If you need to lift a 500-pound woman <laughs> off a couch, if you need to be strong. I know I keep bringing that up, man, but these guys, I mean, we were really talking because, I mean, I'm tasked with training these guys and disaster readiness, and it was kind of an outlier, but it ended up not being. They ended up having to save people like that, and they had to slay, save farm animals and all kinds of stuff, and these are these are all guys. Most of these guys are ex-special forces, okay, and so they were pretty strong tactical athletes, but these are guys that worked out every morning, but, you know paddling down to main street and picking up this lady was incredibly difficult. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just interesting. So I, I'm a guess and just listen to you. That particular situation is more muscular strength coupled with the fact that their endurance from paddling the boats everywhere is so, I mean, it's a needed, we need both. Right. So the strength and endurance or go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I'm, if I can lift a, a maximum amount of say 200 arbitrary units, then like, or 200 pounds, then every repetition I perform at 50 pounds is basically a quarter of that. Now, if I can do 300 pounds, then basically it's easier to lift 50. So my endurance kind of goes up as my strength goes up mm -hmm. to some degree. I see. So a strong person could lift a submaximal load longer. Now you can also build muscular endurance independent of that. So you really do need both. I mean, for that situation, if we can kind of use that as our reference situation, I mean, the paddling um, is kind of a combination of 
cardiorespiratory endurance and muscular endurance because you're right and and when when you get to the situation where you're lifting a heavy load like they're having to get this woman out that is both muscular strength and then sort of strength endurance i mean how how long can you hold that litter that they made so there's it all it all of these things we tease them out so that we can study them but they're all interrelated. I mean, it's it's kind of like a puzzle. I mean, they're all they all just they have to go together. So one of the things that you recommended to me many many years ago that I that uh, I get bored pretty easily working out, so I switch up a lot. But I go every time I get bored, I go back to Windler method. You want to tell everybody about the Windler method and what it is? The Windler method is also kind of referred to as the five three one. It's been popularized as that. And, and it's just a basic barbell lifting program. Uh, Jim Wendler is uh, came out of the West Side barbell crew, I believe, up in Columbus. And and uh, he's not really a competitive power lifter, but he still believes in strength training. And so he's come up with what he considers sort of the best all-around program. And 531 is just based on the main lifts, uh, which are these multi-joint barbell lifts, including uh, deadlifts, squats, bench press, and then things like overhead press and chin-ups. And you're working at least the main lifts for repetitions of five or three or one. So sets of five, three, or one. So it's not a lot of repetitions. And the idea is that you you start out with sets of five, then you move into sets of three, then you move into sets of one, and then you sort of start over, but you're trying to move up your your final sets of five and three and one over time so that you're building strength progressively. The reason I bring this up for everybody that's listening is that I had been working out on my own, uh, trying to lift weights and become stronger. And I consulted with Brian. I should have done it earlier than I did, but he said, Craig, just do the Windler method. And I, I mean, I almost doubled everything, my deadlift, my bench, my military press, my uh, bench press, and I'm talking in about three months, I doubled everything and it wasn't hard. And I literally was spending about 15 minutes in the gym <laughs> and, I, and I just got so much stronger. And I mean, it went quick. I mean, super quick. And so I, I like pointing that out because I was spending an hour, hour and a half in the gym because I didn't know what in the heck I was doing. And just, I just want to reiterate what Brian was saying earlier is, pay somebody or find somebody that's a good friend. I'm fortunate enough to have Brian to help me, but find somebody that, uh, that can give you some advice because it's just going to save you a lot of time. You don't have to work hours on end. You can do a little bit of time and get really strong. I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn. Am I here, Brian? No, for sure. I mean, there's a, there are a number of different ways. Uh, these five, three, one, there's uh, Mark Ripito's starting strength. That's a really good book. And it's basically, it's based on the same principle, low repetitions, uh, building up gradually and progressively over time on a few basic lifts, because, um, you can do five lifts when, and it would take a long time or you can do one lift like the squat which hits so many different muscles at the same time it's just much more efficient so if you can improve your your strength on those core lifts with minimal repetitions then uh, and any accessory work you want depending on your your time basically your the amount of time you have to work out it's very effective okay i'm gonna name off some different types of weight lifting exercises and you just give me some quick thoughts here free weights what comes to mind when i say free weights uh barbell dumbbell kettlebell and i think those are probably yeah good stuff you like that oh for sure yeah for sure free weights are something that are i think they're the ideal sort of training method hmm. okay however you need some coaching because they're not as easy as they look right um so it's i would i would definitely encourage people to at least seek out resources or somebody to help them get started so they don't hurt themselves uh i don't want to put you on the spot but anybody that you can recommend on youtube i would recommend well both wendler and mark ripito hmm, the starting okay. strength they have a lot of instructional videos that are really good those are those are just two that come to mind there's there's quite a few yeah, and i'm also assuming that I mean, although there's certain forms, I mean, each individual as well 
it would do you well to get a good coach, right? I mean, I mean, always, always beyond the YouTube stuff. I mean, each individual has issues or previous injury or whatever, and a good coach can help you work through that. Yeah. Before you start out in any kind of physical activity program, it's a good idea if you've, especially if you're very sedentary, to just go have a, a checkup at the doctor. Um, if you have issues and restrictions and mobility in your, say, maybe shoulders or back, go to a physical therapist because uh, in some cases, some of these things may not be the best for you to start out until you've corrected some sort of problem. So what about machines and stuff of that nature, Brian? Weight machines are useful. Any sort of resistance is useful for building strength. Uh, I would give them, I wouldn't prioritize them over free weights. I think free weights are sort of the gold standard. But again, if that's what you have access to, that's better than not training. So, and they can also be useful for some sort of assistance work or accessory exercises that go along with barbell training. So there's nothing wrong with machines per se. It's just they typically are more, they isolate things more without but we don't work in an isolated fashion so they don't train the movement patterns that we use in real life right but a lot of times they're less intimidating however people think that because the machines are they have a little description on the side of the machine that they're they're super easy to use and you can still hurt yourself if you don't set the seat height correctly so again always get some sort of instruction or, you know, maybe an orientation. A lot of these places have that if you're going to go to a gym. So you mentioned kettlebells earlier. Sounds like you're a fan. Kettlebells. I love kettlebells. I am a fan of kettlebells. They're very versatile. Uh, You can do a lot of the same exercises you could with a dumbbell. They're um, great because they're portable. They don't take up very much space. Uh, they're not so great when you leave them lay on the floor and you catch your toe on them <laughs> in the morning. No joke. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> That's happened. So I would, if I were you, I would, uh, or if I were the listener, I would definitely, if you get a kettlebell, make sure it has this, it has a home other than the <laughs> middle of the floor. I've got one. I've got one that stays in the back of my truck because I mean, if uh-huh. I get hung up doing something out in the woods and Hey, I didn't make it to the gym today. Well, I just made it to the gym cause I got a kettlebell in the back of my truck and let's get to work. Sure. 15, 20 minutes and you can smoke yourself with the kettlebell. Yeah. No joke. Hey, it doesn't that, even take that long. That brings up a good subject too. What about, um, field work? I don't know what else to call it other than being a farm boy and chopping wood and dragging stuff around and hauling feed is what, what any comment on that? Maybe, I mean, this might apply even to like sandbag work or something of that nature. What are your thoughts on all that? How that helps us or hurts us? Well, obviously as a society, we're less fit than we were. Um, in some ways, I mean, medical technology has made us live longer. Uh, but in other ways, we are much less fit than the previous generations because they had to do things like chop firewood or, you know, work on the farm. And if, if you're doing those jobs, uh, a lot of manual labor jobs are going to make you really strong. Um, unfortunately, people that are strong from their jobs can still suffer from problems that they can correct with a little additional work. I mean, I know that if you are doing a, a physically demanding job all day, the last thing that you want to do is to go to the gym and work out sometimes. But some of the things that people do on the job are very repetitive and so they can lead to overuse injuries so that a certain amount of exercise could sort of restore balance to their body so from the front to the back the left to the right and help prevent those injuries or correct those injuries again that's something that um, physical therapists are very good with working uh, working on that with people who have, especially, um, I'm going to say like factory work is kind of the new, is one of the new manual labor type things and people do a repetitive job. Uh, so a lot of the, the things involve, uh, even manual labor involves grasping things, but there's never any extension. So there's a lot of tendonitis and, and from, from gripping all day. There was a, there's a guy I work out in the gym where, where I work out, there's a guy that I, I usually start working out around five or five thirty. And there's all, there's me and one other dude that's in there. I didn't know him before the gym, and 
and guys just incredibly physically fit. I mean, he's just, he, he looks good. I mean, he's a well-fit individual. And uh, I thought, well, he's just kind of a gym rat or something of that nature. And then uh, I never talked to him, just hello and all that kind of stuff. And then I saw him one day working on the side of the road and he's a ditch digger, you know, I mean, he works for a pipeline and he was, had a shovel in his hand and he was digging a ditch. And I ended up talking to him the next day. I was like, dude, how in the world do you work out in here? And then go dig ditches all day long because, I mean, this cat's a beast. And he's like, man, that's why I work out. He said, I hate working out. I absolutely hate it. But if I don't work out and keep everything balanced, then I'm just going to hurt myself at work. So, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, he's obviously got a very demand, physically demanding job, but it's kind of like what you're saying is that it's not it's not symmetrical. I mean, he's he's doing stuff and he's way out of whack all day long. So he stays physically fit so that he can function at work. Right. When I teach jiu-jitsu, I have several students who work uh, physically demanding jobs in construction or, you know, concrete, asphalt, that kind of thing. And they come in to the gym and, I mean, they're, they're freakishly strong. I mean, their grips are just amazing. Um, but they still come in and work out. I mean, you become more efficient at some of these jobs. So you build up a certain technique and and you get fit at those jobs. So, I personally think it would, you know, I, I don't work a job like that. And I think uh, it would take me a while of getting used to that before I could do that and come in and work out. So my, you know, a lot of respect for the people that can do that for sure. Okay. Moving on then, as far as one of the things that you surprised me about a number of years ago was this idea of flexibility and, and it just didn't seem not to make light of it, but you were more focused on mobility rather than flexibility. Would you care to tell our listeners what you mean by that? Definitely. Uh, so the, they are two different things. Uh, they're related, but they're different. Uh, flexibility is just um, the ability to sort of move in the range, uh, a, a normal joint range. Um, and it if you, if you think about flexibility, you're typically thinking about static stretching, right? So the ability to kind of touch your toes or move your body in different ways. And there's, that is a component of mobility, but mobility is a much broader concept that involves uh, strengthening muscles and uh, getting muscles more flexible and biomechanical movement patterns. So correct movement so that you can move properly and pain-free through the full range of motion. So mobility is uh, basically a different scale so that, you know, flexibility exercises can help increase mobility, but sometimes it's not that someone is inflexible that's causing them to have an issue with movement in a certain way, but they have weak muscles that are holding them back because the body will try to protect itself. So muscular balance, uh, moving properly, and flexibility kind of all converge in mobility, which is a, a better, a bigger, and I think a more a more inclusive concept. Right. And that, that's what people should focus on. So I don't know if this is even a good question, but I'm going to ask it this way. Should somebody be stretching before, during, or after a workout? I try to do a little bit of both. Um, and when I, when I say this, there's a, a fair amount of research that shows that Static stretching, in the, in the case of stretch and hold and relax for too long prior to doing something like lifting, can actually limit your lifting performance. So some people uh, don't stretch uh, at all. But I think a warm-up is important, especially no, I'm in my 40s now, so I really appreciate the value of a warm-up. So ha- getting some sort of movement uh, this could be, I usually do a dynamic type warm up. So, different movements to sort of activate different muscles and get the blood flowing. And there's a flexibility component in that so that you're, you're moving, you're doing joint rotations, you're moving your body through the different ranges of motion. And that is sort of the, the, the mobility I would do before. There may be some stretches if you have a particularly tight area that could help before. But that is the uh, time when I would do most of the mobility work. And then that helps get you warmed up because it's very dynamic. Afterwards, it's a good idea to sort of cool down 
and maybe hit some additional mobility work that's a little less dynamic, uh, some stretches at that point if you have uh, tight areas. Something I do for, for jiu-jitsu, for instance, to kind of offset the fact that we're gripping all the time, and so we're flexing our wrists, and I tend to get tendonitis on the inside of my elbow. Hmm. I think a lot of people... Uh, get that from that the, where they're grabbing and grasping a lot mm-hmm. is to stretch my hands in the other direction. So I do that one. So I kind of in a all fours position, kind of try to point my fingers towards my toes and stretch. I do certain specific stretches afterwards, uh, although I don't spend a great deal of time training flex doing the flexibility afterwards. You know, you said something uh, that wasn't going to be another question, but I found it to be true too. Is man, my stretching has changed a lot since when I was, you know, playing in athletics in college versus I'm getting ready to turn 50 in a week. I mean, I I just can't go, I can't just start and just stretch anymore. I've got to do something to warm up and, and stretch. I just can't make it happen. I don't get, I just don't seem like I get much done. If I just starting cold, just try to stretch it. I don't even know if it's even good for me. Is that common or am I just out of whack? No, it's, you're always going to be more flexible when you're warm. So I think a good warm up is appropriate. Even if you're going to do some static stretching prior to to doing a workout, then it's still a good idea to do some just general activity to get your muscles loose before you start stretching. Um, If you can kind of combine movement and stretching into dynamic warm up, say, um, you're doing stiff leg swings and you start out gradually and gradually get higher, things like that. Those things kind of serve a dual purpose. They get your heart heart rate up and get you breathing a little bit hard and then you're, you know, get a little sweat going and then you're ready for your workout. Right. I'm assuming just like everything, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to find somebody to help you with this stuff instead of just assuming that an app knows what it's doing. Find another human, right, that you can talk to. <laughs> it's always good to consult people. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions uh, on, on everything. I, I think people don't know how much they don't know about simple things. Right. So when they, when you try to do something that looks easy and you realize how complicated it actually is, or you start out on your own and you have someone who knows what they're doing tell you that you're doing everything wrong. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then have to break it back down and, and, and break a whole bunch of uh, bad habits that you've built. I would definitely recommend some 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 kind of a resource. Well, I know I've been asking that question over and over, and I'm doing it mainly. I know I know what your answer is going to be, but uh, two reasons I'm keep bringing that up is number one, it's obvious that it's needed, so it's good stuff, and I want our listeners to know that, and just repeating it's good for them. And number two, when I actually came to you and got help from you, it just changed how I work out, and I got so much better, and and did not have to spend as much time in the gym. I'm, like you've mentioned, it's difficult for people to find that time in the gym. And so if you can do it right instead of wasting time, then, I mean, I watched a guy yesterday in the gym and he's, he, I've, I've watched him in there for two years and he's been doing the same stuff for two years and he looks exactly the same and he's struggling so hard. And I just, I'm, I'm like, you know, you need some help, man. <laughs> just listen to somebody. Yeah. I've seen, seen those guys in the gym. It's, uh, it's, I mean, some of the things they do are scary. It's kind of a mixture of fear and entertainment <laughs> and like yeah. just, <laughs> I'm, I just, I don't want them to hurt themselves, but right. they're not going to listen to anything that you have to say sure. that's unsolicited. So, Hey man, this has been good. This has been real good. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the podcast and, and joining us here today. What, uh, if people want to connect with you, how, what kind of ways can we connect with you and and uh, see what you're doing and all that kind of good stuff. Well, my jiu-jitsu academy is uh, Valhalla Academy, and it's in Frankfort, Kentucky. And I can be reached at info at ValhallaAcademy.com. Uh, the website is ValhallaAcademy.com. So I, you can get in touch with me if people have interested are interested in sort of the, the fighting aspects of jiu-jitsu. I have a, a project that that is in the work it's actually online and we're working it right now but is growing quickly an uh, old school jiu-jitsu so it's old school bjj.com and i can be reached there at admin at old school bjj.com hey man i got on there the other day and read uh, one of your blogs on coaching and ego 
we I talk about ego a lot in survival and how we need to know how to be in control of it and not be ego gets people killed so often in survival it's just it's crazy and so I always like to pick other people's brains and read other people's writing on ego and I really that that was a really good piece coaching an ego good job thank you yeah so thank you very I'm much. assuming social media too you got all that kind of stuff going on Facebook Instagram oh, we, we do we have Instagram um, old school underscore jujitsu and then Valhalla Academy both of those are Instagram and our, we have Facebook pages as well for both of those hey guys and gals so those for, for those of you listening you all have heard me talk about me teaching martial arts for over 20 years and all that kind of good stuff which is cool I just want to make it clear Brian Jones is one of the guys that I go to for help and, and assistance in martial arts and fitness and all that kind of good stuff so he's he's just, I'm just incredibly thankful you were here man so anybody that has interest in connecting with brian particularly those of you who are local uh, i'm a huge fan of what he's doing in his academy what he's doing online as far as instructing people so check him out i'm a big fan of what he's doing i think the the take-home point uh for people is that they just need to get moving if if you're not if you're not a gym goer or if you're not active i mean i should say active you don't have to go to the gym to work out Right. You know, just get active. And then if you can get a structured program, that's even better. Right. I know. But take care of yourself because you only have oneself. <laughs> yeah, sure. I know, Ben, ben are you there? I, I'm here. So, Ben, I know you play basketball almost every day, don't you? Uh, I play competitive ultimate frisbee, yeah. Yeah, anything, guys. Anything you can do to get, yeah, that's get nice. busy, man. Just get active. So, uh, another thing just to think about is workouts don't have to be workouts find something that you like to do that's physically active a sport and then you forget you're working out you're just having fun right that's me i like to ruck i will i you know i, I live i go to the morning to the gym every morning and lift to try to set, get that muscular strength to be good muscular endurance and the things that i like to do i ruck about three to four days a week with a pack on just because I like being outside, and that's my thing. Rain, shine, hot, cold—it don't matter. I go. So, but but that's what I like. So, I hope that's an encouragement to everybody else on here to find what you like and do something. It's great talking to you. As always. Yeah, man, we'll have you back on too. We'll uh, we'll get you on and talk about BJJ if that sounds good to you. Sounds good. All right, guys and gals. So, subscribe to the podcast now. It's free. It's absolutely free to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, when you do, you ensure that you don't miss out on any of our episodes. And please, if you enjoy the podcast, give us a five-star review wherever you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever it might be. Give us that five-star review because that's help, that really helps other people be able to find us. Click on the description below to find your copy of the show notes. It's going to include tips, tactics, skills, action steps, kit checklist, and gear. Primarily today, we'll probably have all the links to the different uh, YouTube videos that brian was discussing from windler and ripito and and stuff of that nature we might even find some kettlebells to link to or something we'll throw all that in there for you so that's it guys thanks for listening we'll see you next time on the survival show podcast keep it simple be positive and stay sharp